Welcome to the Life Church STL podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages and inspires you. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This morning I have a message for you. And I can't help it. Look, it is Mother's Day and I am a mom and maybe that's why Pastor Josh asked me to preach. But everything that I say and do does come through this filter of being a mom and I live to embarrass my children. I do. I can't. I mean, I'm like almost 19 years in and it is seriously the joy of my life is to embarrass my children. There are only two of them in this room today and I'm going to try to leave them alone because it's actually the other two that tend to um, forget things and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about. The title of my message this morning is, I forgot about that. And we're going to read in Mark. (laughs) There's so many funny things in the Bible if you just look at it, but this one in particular stood out to me um, in a way that I feel like Jesus could probably relate to some moms, um, and you'll see why. We're in Mark 8.1, and the title of this at the top of it says, Jesus Feeds 4,000. Now listen, this is not to be confused with two chapters back where Jesus fed how many? 5,000. Verse 1, it says this, about this time, another large crowd had gathered and the people ran out of food again. Okay. (laughs) The feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000. While they're similar, they are two different events. You can compare them and see the details and you'll know. But guys, dinner happens every night. Am I right, moms? (laughs) Like, it just keeps coming around, these times when we need to be prepared with food. We skip down to verse 14 of the same chapter, and it says this. Now, mind you, he already fed the 4,000 and the 5,000. Here we are in 14, and it says, but the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. Where are the moms at? Who's bringing the food? They keep forgetting the food. Listen, <clears throat> I, I married an incredible man who has so many great qualities and gifts and talents, and he's so loving and compassionate, but he has a tendency, he's told you, so it's fair for me to tell you too, to forget things. And we've learned that you have to be in a, in a routine and, and remember that we've gotten to the airport. I remember one time when we were going with his family on a vacation and got to the airport, we were going to Utah and get there, and he left our bags at the church where we met up. And so we had to wait, and that was probably one of the largest fights we ever had in our marriage. And I did say, I'm calling my mom to come pick me up. <laughs> I'm not doing this, boy. We were newly married. It was some, some of those things. But <clears throat> it, it is just like that. That's not something that, that I will say, not in pride, but I just, I remember a lot. He'll tell you, I remember people's names and where we were and all that stuff. And so when we had children, those are one You just don't think about asking those things. Tell me some things I might need to know when we have kids together. Well, I forget things a lot. was not on the list. So, you know, that or I pass out often. Never thought to ask those things. So we have these wonderful kids. And my oldest and the middle tend to forget things a lot. But we went through this period of time. And they're learning. They're growing. It's those routines that they need in their life. And we went through this period of time where... I'm not kidding you, everywhere we went and every time we went, we would get there 
And my sweet girl, I asked permission if I could say this, would say, oh, I forgot shoes. How do you forget shoes when we've all gotten in the car to go to a restaurant, to go to eat dinner? How do you forget to put on shoes? I forgot about that, Mom. Like, I just, so it was a summer day, <clears throat> and um, we were nearby my parents' house. My parents weren't with us, but we had gone to eat at a restaurant. And once again, we go get out of the car. And by this time, we had kind of learned, and I looked behind me, I said, where are your shoes? Oh, no. Are there any in the car? And I said, we don't keep shoes in the car, but we should, clearly. So I called my mom, who's about two minutes away, and I said, Mom, and at this time, the daughter that shall stay unnamed, was, was smaller, younger, and she wore the same size shoe as my, gra my grandmother. Um, so I said, Mom, you have any shoes? I could just run by and get her. She said, I'll run and buy. I'm going out anyway. My daughter never forgot to bring her shoes again because what my mom brought her were... <clears throat> my grandmother's orthopedic like platform black shoes and that <clears throat> didn't happen again sometimes you got to teach them the hard way a lot about tough love so anyway in verse 8 or I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 16, it says this. <laughs> At this, they began to argue. They just said, we didn't, we didn't, we forgot. We forgot food. We don't have food. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Do you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes. Can you see? You have ears. Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? And let me just tell you, if that, that didn't sound like a mom maybe said it, <laughs> her very own self, um, let's pray. <laughs> God, I thank you for this day, this wonderful, beautiful day that you've called us into your house. And Lord, I pray that you would give us soft hearts, ears to hear you, and eyes to see you. And Lord, let every word that comes out of my mouth be one from you, God. I pray that lives will be changed because of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I found, maybe you have as well, that walking with Jesus does require a lot of remembering. Um, if we look in 2 Kings, it's interesting because, you know, you think, okay, this story of feeding the 4,000, it's not just a retelling of the, the story of the 5,000. It happens over and over and over again in his word. And in 2 Kings um, chapter 4, verse 43, we're in this situation with Elisha. And it says, what? His servant exclaimed, feed a hundred people with only this. But Elisha repeated, give it to the people so they can eat. For this is what the Lord says. Everyone will eat and there will even be some left over. And when they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all and some left over just as the Lord promised. And I think that as we journey in this story today, we're going to find that God likes to remind us that he is more than enough. And in each one of these stories, um, he doesn't just give us a little. It's amazing to see that he always makes sure that we have more than enough. But so often in life, these circumstances, just like with Elisha or 
in this same scenario that the disciples found them in themselves in twice, um, sitting in a, a large group of people with very little to feed them, we so quickly forget who God is. We say, I forgot about that. And I want to read you this quote. <clears throat> and it was so convicting to me. And I, I hope that it'll touch your heart too. But it's A.W. Tozer. And here's what it says. Unbelief says this. Some other time, but not now. Some other place, but not here. Some other people, but not us. But faith says, anything he did anywhere else, he will do here. And anything he did any other time, he's willing to do now. Anything he ever did for other people, he's willing to do for us. And that, <clears throat> those words, man, they just got me just thinking, how often do we say, I mean, these disciples were sitting with Jesus two chapters back and watched him show up in this miraculous way. And here they are in a situation again, and they literally say, which we're going to read, how in the world is this going to work out? And they're saying, maybe for someone else, this could. Maybe at another place, this could. Maybe at another time, it could. And if you're not guilty of feeling those feelings, then it's okay with me that I'll just preach to myself today. But we forget so quickly that Jesus is the only one who can fill us up. So stories and scriptures like this, they help us remember how wonderful he is. It clears our view, which we're going to talk about in just a minute also, so that we can see and that we can hear as we should. So in Mark 8, that's where we started, Mark 8, 1 through 8, I want to read it to you. It says, during those days, another large crowd had gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have a long distance. And his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. And they were honest with what they had. I think that that's an important thing that we're going to see again later. They were, they, he asked, what do you have? And they said, we have seven loaves. So he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well, and he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over, and about 4,000 men were present. So there's more than that there. But so many things to pull from here, but let's start with this compassion. Why was he moved by compassion? It says that because they've been with me now three days without anything to eat, they were hungry. This phrase, have been with me or remain, it means more than just attendance. They were paying very close attention to his every word. They weren't there to see a show or some spectacle. They were there for Jesus and Jesus only. And they weren't there for a miracle. And maybe that's why they got a miracle. 
These people didn't do anything to draw this, this compassion out of Jesus. The reason that they got it is because they stayed with him. They didn't perform or say the right prayers or do all the right things. There were some Gentiles. There were some Jews. It didn't matter. Some were healthy. Some were sick. It didn't matter. Some were wealthy. Some were poor. But none of that mattered. All of those who witnessed a miracle that day were those who simply stayed and became hungry. And how convicting for me, maybe for you too, I find it hard sometimes to remain with Jesus. And when I say remain with him, I mean to stay in his word or in a moment of prayer with him when the phone dings or when someone calls or when something else happens. And I love that they lay it out as plain as can be for us that these disciples weren't that different. They could be with Jesus and still forget. How quickly something can catch our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and pull us away. But when we look at this verse 4, this gets me so much. It says, but where in this remote place, some versions say desolate, some say wilderness, can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Literally, have they just forgotten what happened to chapters. How many days, how many weeks ago when they sat in the same place, same condition, same situation, and they say, where in this desolate, abandoned, middle of nowhere place are, are we going to be able to find enough to provide for what we need? And friends, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know if it's you or if it's just me. But there's so many times when in life we're in a situation, Jesus is there with us. And we've discredited and discounted him and said, where in the world now, in the middle of this mess, in the middle of this nothingness that I have, am I going to be satisfied? And I don't know if maybe for you, I want to talk to some of those women in the room that maybe are longing for a child or Maybe you are longing for reconciliation in a relationship and you say, how in the world in the middle of this nothingness or wilderness is God ever going to have, have anything even to make it right? Here they have fewer people there and two more loaves and yet still the disciples wonder how, how Lord, they only see that impossibility and not the opportunity. The literal reading of this says, who in this desolate place can satisfy their hunger? The emphasis is on who and satisfy. Even after having experienced provision so similar, they suddenly have no idea who could provide for these hungry people. Oh, but aren't they just like us, or at least like our kids? Let's say that. I mean, how many times are those kids like, but how? How are we going to do this? I have another daughter that's in the room that... Always, she came out a planner, ready to go. She wants a plan. I'm not kidding you. She showed up day one like, what are we doing? What's the plan? What's my schedule? What are we? That's who she is. And so every single year, it is my joy and delight to not book our vacation until a week before, only to drive her crazy. And she says, mom, we're not going to be, mom, where are we going to stay? What, what are we going to do? I don't know how this is going to work out. And I say, calm down. I've never failed you. 
We've always stayed somewhere. It's always worked out. Am I right? Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> but still, she knows her mom. She knows I can find, find anything, anything on that internet. And we will go stay in a nice place and we're gonna have the best time, but she gets so uptight, worried, thinking, but how, what if it doesn't work out? And I say, you've been here before, you can trust me. We're in this girl, I got you. And this year, it better work out because months ago, I already booked where we're staying months later. And if that falls through, that on you. <laughs> you gonna be the one on the internet. But aren't they just like us? But how in the world is this gonna work out? And just like that song we sang, man, we, we can look over and over again, sometimes backwards in our life and say, there you were. You haven't failed me yet, and I know you're not going to fail me now. But we can forget that past provision. It's really hard to trust God to do something that we can't control or we can't see. But maybe the biggest sin in our life <clears throat> isn't always the most obvious to us. We might focus on, I don't know, on jealousy or lust or greed or thinking all these things. But really, the sin beneath all of those, I would subject to you today, that is the forgetfulness of God being God. And that's why the first of the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods before me. We break all the other ones only after that one is broken. So the disciple showed us how it's possible to be with God and not hear him or see him. But listen, in verse 8, it says, they ate and were satisfied. I love that. The provision of Jesus isn't just an okay meal. He satisfies us, and he more than satisfies us. The rest of that verse says, they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. These are not to-go boxes that you take home. This word basket is the same one that Luke used in Acts 9 when they were lowering Paul down the wall. It's a man-sized basket. His leftovers, his, his remain of what, what is after he provides for you is so much so much more than a little take, just take home box. The reason why, why does he care? Why does he care to give us so much left over so we can share, so that we can share with other people? So these disciples go home with these big old baskets. And I come back to this verse again in verse 18. It says, you have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? I thought it very interesting that this story was sandwiched in between two of the weirdest miracles that Jesus did. And like I said, I love the Bible because it's so real and so applicable. But in Mark 7... So right before this, um, Jesus is putting a lot of emphasis on what we hear and what we, what we see. And so we come to this verse, 32, and its title of this says, Jesus heals a deaf man. I'm sure you've heard it before. It says, a deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him. 
And the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. (laughs) Jesus led him away from the crowd so that they could be alone. Why do they need to be alone? Well, you'll find out. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Listen to me. If you are a mom, you know there's power. Let me wipe that off your face. Let me just just get that off. And my children, I I try to raise respectable, you know, decent humans. And one of their grandfathers, who is in the room also, will not be named, decided to teach them one afternoon what a wet willy is. Don't appreciate that still. However, looks like Jesus is pretty familiar himself. And he spit on his own fingers and touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so that he could speak. Why? Why did it matter? that this man could hear, that he could speak. And Jesus says back here, do you have ears to hear? Do you have eyes to see? But I love in the next verse, verse 36, Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone. But the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. Because aren't we all just the same? You tell those kids, hey, don't tell. Listen, there's going to be a surprise. So can we keep? No way. You tell them that it's like fan in the flame. Oh, I just told like nine people. They're not going to tell anybody. And this man was just the same. The more they said, don't tell anybody. He had to tell more. So then we're going to continue. So we've got that in 732. Then we go to 8 where he feeds the 4,000. And we go down just a little bit further in 8 verse 22. And it says, Jesus heals a blind man. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. And I always love that story because it means that he had people around him who said, hey, I know where you can go to find healing. And you guys keep people around you who can take you to the one who can heal you and help you to see. They begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Again, just it's such a personal encounter. Then, again, another weird one, spitting on the man's eyes. He laid his hand on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hand on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were open. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. There's so many parts to that that I think we need to take notice of. When Jesus came and met the man and he touched him, he asked him, did Jesus know that he could not see clearly? Absolutely. Could Jesus have healed him in that moment in an instant? Absolutely. But what if, what if there was just something to be said about Jesus asking a man, can you see clearly? And him being honest saying, not really. I mean, I definitely can see better than I definitely did yesterday, but things are still a little bit blurry. And I'm still seeing a little bit of just this this haze. And 
that's the truth, Jesus, is that I want to be, I want to be able to see, but can you help me? And Jesus says, absolutely. You know what? All it's going to take is a touch from me, and you're going to see completely clearly. But you guys, we have to know that Jesus already knows. He already knows the truth about your life, about my life, about what I can see, what I've been hearing, what things sound like, what things look like. And he asked this man, can you see clearly now? And so he touches him again. You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? We can't get by in life on one touch from Jesus. He, we can't, oh man, everything can change in that moment. But he wants to continue to encounter us and say, hey, here we are again. And you can look back on the line of life and say, remember that time? And so quickly we say, oh, I forgot about that. Wait a minute, I forgot. You were there when, when we had 5,000 people and had nothing to feed them with. You were there and you provided more than enough. And so now when I'm standing with these 4,000 and they're all hungry and we don't know what we're gonna do, I know I can trust you. I know that you've done it before and I know that you're gonna do it again. Just like that quote says, I'm going to read it again to you. I want you to hear it again. Unbelief says this, some other time, but not now. Some other place, but not here. Some other people, but not us. But faith says, anything he did anywhere else, he will do here. And anything he did any other time, he is willing to do now. Anything he ever did for another or other people he's willing to do for us. The rest of this quote says this, with our feet on the ground and our head cool, but our hearts ablaze with the love of God, we walk out in this fullness of spirit if we will yield and obey. Will you stand with me? Thanks for listening today. We pray this message encourages you. If you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about us as a church, you can always visit us online by going to lifechurchstl.com.